oh man, every time I see them, I'm like, how do I become a part of the Dow ministry? It's just awesome. They do such, okay, can you help me say thank you to Heidi and the young ladies that are just a part of it? Thank you guys, it was awesome. <laughs> Heidi Rush uh, helps run our Dow ministry and it's just a great, great thing. Hey, well, um, Christmas is coming. And uh, last week I opened by saying one of my favorite things about Christmas are Christmas movies, and um, that is true. And maybe one of my other second favorite things about Christmas is the songs. I I love singing Christmas songs. Who's with me? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, um, just for a few moments, uh, I want you to share with the person next to you what your favorite Christmas song is. Ready? Go. Favorite Christmas song. All right. All right, starting on this side of the room, I just want everybody to share. We're going to go one, one at a time. And um, Okay, no, no, we're not. Um, but since the mic's attached to my face, I'll share what mine is. Um, one of my favorite Christmas songs this year is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I absolutely love that song. But there's a song that, as much as Hark the Herald is growing on me, that's not growing on me. And I mentioned this to Aaron this week, and he told me, you're going to make a few enemies today, and all I have to say about that is, that's okay, that's okay. Because every time this song comes on the radio, I think to myself, I don't know, I'm not sure. And the song is, Mary, Did You Know? And, And okay, before you hate me, before you hate me, here's what's going on in my head the entire song. She knew! She knew! Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? She knew. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? She knew. Mary, did you know that the child you've delivered will soon deliver you? Yeah, yeah, she knew. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? She knew. She knew. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? She knew. She knew. And so I am lamenting this in our kitchen this Christmas. And Kelly says to me, my wife Kelly says to me, well, did she know he'd walk on water? And I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm leaving. No, I'm just kidding. So 75% of the song, she knew. And so how do we know? How do we know? Well, if you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 1, that's where we're going to start today. Luke chapter 1. And if that didn't offend you, just wait. Just wait. And here's the way we know that she knew. It's called the Annunciation. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 30. It says this, and the angel said to her, Mary, did you know? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And just a quick time out. Isn't it interesting that finding favor with God has the potential to lead us to fear? Sometimes what God does in our life are things that we don't quite expect and maybe didn't chart out on our own. And and every time we find favor with God, we either have the choice to operate in faith or fear. That's a side note. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of David or Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, I know that I'm just a teenager, but I understand how these things typically work. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. If you're into artwork, you've probably seen a number of paintings that depict this scene, the Annunciation. And typically, Mary is... Um, pictured as this fairly wealthy girl who's sitting and has her Bible opened. If you were to ask the artist what it's open to, they would tell you Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. She's reading the prophecy that's being fulfilled in her. The virgin shall give birth to a child and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The only problem with that is reality. It's probably not the way it happened. In fact, this is one of my favorite paintings of the Annunciation. Um, it's by a man named Henry Asua Tanner. And the thing I like about this picture of Mary is that she's the simple, peasant, teenage girl that she probably actually was. I mean, the house that she's living in isn't a palace. Her face, if you could sort of just write down some adjectives that describe her face, you might, you might write down things like, Man, she's, she's maybe a little bit anxious, but, but she's also like intent on hearing. She's surrendered, but there's some questions, aren't there? I, I love this picture. It's, it's this simple moment that could have happened every or any day. It could happen today. Let's take a step back from this story for, for just a moment. And let's ask, what's going on with this announcement? What's going on is that Mary is stepping into a a stream that's been flowing. See, God has been meeting with his people. He meets with them in a tent, and, and then he meets with them in a tabernacle, and then he meets with them in a temple, And the tent and the tabernacle, the temple, are all these pictures uh, of places where the things of heaven and the things of earth come to this interlocking space. Where heaven starts to invade earth. They're, They're little hubs where heaven invades earth. And I think what we see in Mary is that she's stepping into this place. This place that the tabernacle and the temple filled where God's presence was manifest in unique ways. Where the nation of Israel would go to, to meet with God. Mary's playing that part for the nation of Israel. She's, in a sense, she's the Ark of the Covenant. God is there. God is, like, in her, literally. So here's my question, and it might sound strange. If I didn't offend you at the beginning, I'll offend you now. How unique is Mary? I mean, really, how unique is, is Mary? I mean, sure, she's the, the blessed mother. She's the only virgin to give birth. I, I get that. In a lot of ways, she's unique. But how unique is she in carrying the Christ? 
a great question. Well, you flip over with me to Galatians chapter 4. That, that's where we're camping out during this Advent season, where we're journeying towards the manger. And remember, Advent is about in-betweens. It's about waiting. It's about looking back to the birth of Messiah, Jesus, and looking forward to the time where he says he will come again to restore and renew. And we live in this now but not yet in-between. We call it life. The church calendar calls it Advent. And listen to the way that the Apostle Paul invites us to dwell on this season. He says this. But when the fullness of time had come, remember we talked about this uh, week one of our series, the fullness of time had come meant that there was a lot of time that wasn't full. There was a lot of time where there was a promise that had been given but hadn't been delivered on, hadn't been fulfilled yet. And so we remembered week one that the promise is often a process with God. He doesn't usually deliver right away when he makes a promise. He does something in our life in carrying us along in the waiting. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And if you were here last week, you heard us talk about this idea that, that God became a child, that we might become children of God, that Christmas is about adoption. It's about God calling us into his family, verse 6. Paul doesn't end there, though. He continues to gospel us and says this. And because you are sons and sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father, or, or Daddy. Now, the first two statements are sort of in line with what we might expect or hope for, but the third statement is an anomaly. God has sent his son, or sent the spirit of his son into our, where? Hearts. I'm not sure if you're having company this Christmas, I don't know if you're going to host anybody or have anybody over. Whether or not you're having company this Christmas, if you're a follower of Jesus, you already have company. Because here's, here's the picture that the scriptures are painting. That what was true physically of Mary carrying the Christ child in her womb is true of every follower of Jesus spiritually. We carry his spirit in our heart. So the Apostle John will say that Jesus, the Christ, um, took on flesh, and as Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message, moved into the neighborhood. And Paul would go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He moved into the neighborhood, ultimately, so that he would move into your hearts. That, that was the end game. That was the hope. We'll say it like this this morning. God came to dwell among us so that he could ultimately dwell within us. So how unique is Mary? Well, it's really interesting. If we go back to Luke's gospel and we read this account of the annunciation, the angel announcing, Mary, you're pregnant, the Holy Spirit's the father, and you're going to give birth to the son. Listen to the language Luke uses. It says, and the angel answered her, Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, 
the Son of God. This is, this is about the incarnation. But if you fast forward to Luke's documenting of the life of Jesus through the early church in the book of Acts, listen to what he says. It's very similar language. Talking to the church, he says, but you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has what? Come upon you. Now, every first century reader would have been going, whoa, 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 Luke, do you realize that what you're telling us is going to happen in the Holy Spirit, you've already said, has happened in Mary? And Luke would go, it's exactly what I'm doing. It's exactly what I'm doing. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's as though he says, and, and in the same way that Mary gave birth to the Christ child, so too will the church give birth to the person of Christ and the rule of Christ and the reign of Christ and the kingdom of Christ in the world. Now Mary's not just a peasant teenage girl who happens to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She is that, but she's also an archetype. She's a, a picture of what you and I now carry. See, the temple was, uh, the, the tent re was replaced by the tabernacle, and the tabernacle replaced by the temple. These are all interlocking places where heaven and earth meet. And eventually, the temple is replaced by Mary, and then Mary is replaced by well, all of us, all of us, uh, Paul will write it like this in the book of 1 Corinthians, or do you not know? Like maybe, maybe you don't, and I'm glad you're here today if you don't, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. Don't, don't you know that you are, you're not you, your own? You and I are temples. We're places where the Spirit of God overlaps with his creation in humanity where God, God's manifest presence dwells. The intersection of heaven and earth is you. Is you. But I just want to, will you let that sink in for a second? I don't want to just rush right by that. I've got a lot to cover, but maybe just, we just dwell on that for a moment. The intersection of heaven and earth is you. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit lives in you. A lot of Jesus followers sort of wrestle with the Holy Spirit. You may have grown up in a tradition like me where um, we didn't talk about the Spirit a whole lot. He was sort of like the weird uncle that you wanted to keep out of the gathering, right? right? Like, let's just keep him at an arm's length. Let's keep him at a distance. Or maybe you're new to being a follower of Jesus or spirituality in any sense. And so you're going like, I'm not sure. Spirit, that seems a little ethereal. That seems a little bit like, how does it impact our daily life? And to you, I'd say, one, I'm glad you're here. But second, we, we all have a conscience. We all have something sort of innate inside of us that, that senses a, a right and a wrong that seeks to guide. And for followers of Jesus, we'd say that the Spirit is similar, similar. But then there's some of us, we start to talk about the Spirit, and you're like, I got my oil, oil in my back pocket. I've got some snakes that I'd like us to tame, some scorpions that maybe we can subdue. And you think of charismolets and falling gold and all sorts of barking in the Spirit or whatever, right? Oils and flags. That's usually the way it goes. Not a lot of you, I guess. 
So what is the Spirit? Let me just give you a quick definition. What is the Spirit? Here's what the Spirit is, who the Spirit is. The Spirit is God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. And Jesus thought so highly of the Spirit. Catch this. Jesus thought so highly of the Spirit and the Spirit's work in us that here's what he said. He said to his disciples as he's marching towards Jerusalem, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. I mean, don't you imagine that the disciples are like, hey, are you open to votes? Like, can we do this democratically? Can we just take a vote whether or not we want you to go or stay? And my guess is every single one of them would go, stay, stay. He says, if I don't go away, The helper, the Holy Spirit, is who he's talking about, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, has Jesus gone? Not a trick question. Yes. Therefore, the Spirit has come. The Spirit has has come. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what Jesus is saying is Christmas is great, but Pentecost is better. Like, incarnation is mind-bending. I mean, to think about God clothed in human skin, fully God, fully man. That is a remarkable mystery we probably will never fully wrap our hearts and our minds around. And Jesus would say, yeah, incarnation is mind-bending. It's amazing. But indwelling, don't miss that. Don't miss that. And most religious people, even people who follow the way of Jesus, still imagine that God is somewhere else. Even the way we talk about coming to church, we often imagine, well, God's God's here, as if, like, he's in this place. Now, here, he is, he is. Look up at me for a second. Because you're here. Because you're here. You carry the presence of God with you everywhere you go. Is God at your workplace? You're there. Yeah. Is he in your family? Yeah. Absolutely. What we, what we celebrate at Christmas is that God is not somewhere else, but that he has decided to make his home in us. He came to dwell among us so that he would eventually, eventually, ultimately dwell within us. And so I just, I'm going to encourage you to lean in a little bit today because I have this conviction that no transformation in our life will really truly happen and really truly take place until we realize that the divine actually lives in us, not somewhere else. And we've got to start to learn how to have relationship with God who lives in us. Paul would say that this is the hope of glory, that the Spirit actually makes his home in us. And a lot of what Paul does in the book of Galatians in regards to the Spirit is he corrects some teaching that has gone awry and gone astray. He corrects some lies that the Galatian church has somehow come to believe about Spirit and about the work of the Spirit. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give us sort of a, a, gently, a gentle corrective today, and then I want to lead us on a course forward. Does that sound good? To both of you? Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Because ultimately, carrying the Christ child changed everything for Mary. And, and I wonder what it's changed for us. 
Because remember, what Mary carries physically in her womb, we carry spiritually in our heart. So flip back one chapter, Galatians 3. Paul's going to start what we would say is like a holy justified rant against the Galatian church. He's just called the church fools um, in the name of Jesus and in the love of Jesus. And he's talking to them about circumcision and how if you want to get circumcised yourself in order to make yourself right with God, why don't you just cut the whole thing off and call it good, right? Be really, be really spiritual. That's my paraphrase. Go read it, okay? Not around kids, but go read it, okay? And here's where he goes from there. Here's where he goes from there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. He says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So he's going to say there's really two courses that you can take with God, whether you're spiritual or unspiritual, religious or unreligious. There's two ways you can try to approach God. You can try to approach God based on what you do. And the Jews had a way of doing that. It was called the law. And the better they performed, the more God loved them. The more, sorry, the more that they reflected his image and the more of God they had, right? So here is the thought amongst people under the law. If I perform well, I get more of the spirit. He says, for it's written, cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He goes, here's the problem with the law. The law isn't bad in and of itself. You just can't keep it. In order to really be right with God, you've got to do the whole law all the time. All of it, all the time. Anybody want to go, stuck that dismount? Right? Yeah, me neither. He says, now it's evident that no one's justified before God, before the law. He goes, yeah, he just did that same survey with the Galatian church and went, no hands in the air. Hmm, that puts us in a little bit of a predicament. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us. He says, he's like, purchase us back from under the curse of the law. The curse of getting right with God based on what you do. By becoming a curse for us. He steps into that system and fulfills it perfectly. For it's written, cursed is anyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that blessing that you just receive open-handedly, not because you're amazing and you're awesome, but because God says, I want to bless you. The blessing of Abraham. The blessing of life and faith. Might come to the Gentiles, to, to the world. So that we might, what's that word? Receive. We might receive the promised Holy Spirit. See, here's what Paul wants to do. He wants to shift their thinking from, if I perform well enough, and if I do enough, then I receive the Spirit, to, no, 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 no. You receive the Spirit, and the Spirit empowers you to move forward. The Spirit is not the goal of the Christian life. The Spirit is the source of the Christian life. These are two very different things, and Paul is beating this drum. Spirit isn't something you earn. It's someone you receive. We don't obey for the Spirit. Our obedience comes from the Spirit. And hey, hey, just lean in for a moment. Isn't this the Christmas story? 
that the God of the universe, for some reason, chooses to be born into a cave in a back alley rather than into a palace? That he chooses a poor peasant Jewish girl rather than a queen with some standing? I love the Christmas story. I love this picture of the way that Jesus was born in a rented manger. Because when I look at my own soul and my insides, and sometimes it's in okay shape, and a lot of times it's just a total mess, I'm going, man, I'm grateful that God enters places that we wouldn't expect him. Anybody want to say amen to that? That the Spirit enters, the Spirit comes. And here, I just, I want you to hear this. Um, We are that Mary. We are that cave. Um, If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have the Spirit of God in you. You do. Thank you. One, one, like, I picture that, like, um, you know, Mary goes to meet Elizabeth and John the Baptist in Elizabeth's stomach's like, yes, Jesus, right? That was a, that was a yes, Jesus. I love that. Here's the way, here's the way Paul continues, because he wants to clarify. He goes, no, 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 you don't earn the spirit. You receive the spirit. You receive the spirit. Flip over to Galatians chapter five. Because he wants to say, once you receive the spirit, what starts to happen? What does this, what does this look like? What type of life do we then live? And it might be unexpected. He says, but I, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. You have these two like, um, things in opposition. The, the Broncos are against the Browns, right? I don't know which one's Spirit, which one's flesh. Last night, the Browns were Spirit. My goodness. I mean, if that's not surprising, I don't know what is. Um, For the desires of the flesh are against, they're contrary to the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. That system of if I'm right with God, then I receive his spirit. You're not not under that system anymore. But notice what the apostle Paul does. I think he speaks into something that we, we maybe get wrong in our minds. You may have heard a gospel presentation at some point, And a well-meaning person that maybe you really deeply loved said, um, if you become a Christian, they maybe didn't say it exactly like this, but they, they communicated this. If you become a Christian, your life's going to get way easier. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so wonderful. Your best life now. And what Paul would say is, hmm, I'm not so sure. The spirit that now lives inside of you is opposed, is against some of those patterns and rhythms of your soul that you've grown so accustomed to that they feel just natural. So like growing bitter when someone wrongs you and holding on to that in the way that feels good, like spirit's going to start to point out um, there's a better way let that go. Harboring anger towards your enemies, spirit's going to start to say, uh, actually, actually, the way is love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
that, that lust that tends to make you feel good momentarily, spirit's going to say, um, actually, let that go and move into the ways and to the rhythms of, of love. See, becoming a follower of Jesus will initially make things way more difficult. And that's what Paul's saying. He's going, listen, um, but just because it's more difficult doesn't mean it's not better, right? So let's not, let's not get so involved in our cultural milieu that just says automatically easy is good that we don't step back enough to realize, no, some things in life that are worth fighting for are a fight. And Paul would say the health of your soul is just that. And the Spirit's charting a new course. But the Spirit isn't something that gives automatic victory. The Spirit is someone who empowers us for battle. So the picture of being a follower of Jesus and being indwelt by the Spirit might be akin to stepping onto a battleship rather than a cruise ship. Right, so like on a cruise ship, you step onto the cruise ship and it's like, I've heard, I've actually been, but it's food, it's entertainment, it's luxury, it's all around good. In fact, where do I sign up, right? Like that, it sounds great, and it is, and it's probably 10 pounds added at the end of it, you know? It's like, praise be to God. But what God said, what Paul would say is, no, 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 the, the spirit in you is not like loads you onto a battle or onto a cruise ship where everything is just great all the time. It's actually loading you onto a battleship where you have every, everything you need in order to be victorious, but we're engaging, we're, we're fighting for the health of our soul. And Paul would say it like this in Galatians chapter six, verse eight. For the one who sows to his own flesh well, from his own flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And he's going, listen, we're, we're all pouring our energy and our time either into Spirit or into flesh. Either into the presence and person of God in us, we're, we're cultivating that. Or we're just going along with what we naturally want in and of ourselves. See, I'm, I'm convinced that most followers of Jesus don't know that the Spirit of God actually wants to empower you rather than just automatically dispense victory to you. God's saying, I want to teach you. I want you to step into this, empowered by me. And so we combat lies through renewing our mind with truth. We step into spiritual practices to reform habits that have gotten their tentacles into us, empowered by the Spirit. See, spiritual disciplines and the Spirit's indwelling are not at odds with each other. The Spirit loves to take spiritual disciplines and infuse them with life. It's, I hope it's what you've been experiencing as you've practiced fixed-hour prayer over the last few weeks. That as we position our hearts to hear from God, we hear from God. As we remember God in the midst of our day, that that memory, that remembering actually brings life. Here's the way that Paul begins to end. Here's what he says. He says, now the work of the flesh are evident. I think if you were writing this today, he might go, you can just open your news app and see these everywhere. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, the, and the things like these. I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, just a quick timeout. I need to help us unload a little bit of baggage, and then we'll move on. When we read, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, a lot of us hear, mistakenly, these kind of people don't go to heaven, which isn't at all what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is the kingdom of God is something that's present. It's a way that they live in the everyday under the rule and reign of Jesus. And what Paul wants to say is it's impossible to live under the reign of Jesus. If you want to hold on to your sorcery, your enmity, your jealousy, your anger, your rivalries, your dissensions, he goes, you can't hold on to the way of Jesus and hold on to those things. And spirit wants better. Here's, here's the way Paul says it. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He's pointing back to Galatians 3. And those who belong to Christ Jesus has, have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's actually, there's four commands in this section. Four commands. Walk, walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. You know what's fascinating is one of the commands in this passage is not bear fruit. It's not. You can't try to bear fruit anyway, which should be great news for us. The Bible actually makes sense. We don't try to bear fruit. It's what naturally comes out of us based on what path we're walking. Are we walking in flesh or are we walking in spirit? He goes, well, just look. And if you find yourself walking in flesh, like, come back to spirit. Because he's way better. And he actually wants your life. It's about God having power. Walking in the Spirit is God having power over us and empowering us. But the Spirit isn't something that controls us. Like we automatically lose our brain. The Spirit is someone who leads us. Walk, stay in step, live by, be led. And so Jesus will say in John chapter 16, the Spirit is, is, like, a, is like a guide, <laughs> But you got to be careful because sometimes we could view a guide as sort of like a, a cattle driver where a guide is, is behind cattle and he's just beating them into submission. Go this way. Do this thing. Come on. Let's go. But the way that the scriptures picture Jesus as a guide is not as a cattle driver but as a shepherd who gently, sometimes quietly, sometimes firmly comes to his sheep and says, no, 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 there's, there's green pastures and there's still waters and I want to take you there. I want to take you there. 
And so the Spirit, in order to be led by the Spirit, we must have this declaration back to God. God, Jesus is Lord, you rule, you reign, you're smarter than me, so whenever you say something to me, my answer is yes before I know what the question is. Here's a, so that's number one. I just want to drill into a few things here and then we'll, we'll close. The Spirit guides us like a shepherd, not like a cattle driver. The Spirit guides us, and you may want to write this phrase down. I think it's important. The Spirit guides us through our cultivated conscious awareness. Through our cultivated conscious awareness. Cultivated meaning it may not come naturally to us. We've, we've got to train ourselves to actually hear God. Conscious meaning it's not something that happens necessarily while we're checked out, but while we're dialed in. Oh God, this is, this is what you're doing. This is the way of Jesus. This, my, my mind is surrendered to you. It's not checked out. And in awareness, God, you're up to something. God, you're doing something. It's why the Apostle Paul will say in the book of Colossians, set your mind on things above. Don't check your mind out. Set it. Set it. This is active, intentional participation with the work of the Spirit in our life, you guys. And it's the way of Jesus. I love the way, and this might surprise you, but um, I love the way that Dallas Willard says this. And um, it's a long quote but I think it's really important. So I'm going to ask you to lean in, okay? Lean in. Here's what Willard writes. He says, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the earlier time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on other things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Dallas Willard for the win. I mean that, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's a shepherd, not a cattle driver. This is conscious awareness, not checking out. And then finally, and if you're taking notes, write this down. He guides us through conviction, not condemnation. He guides us through conviction, not condemnation. In fact, in John chapter 16, Jesus says that part of the Spirit's role is conviction. So we expect that the Spirit would point out when things in our life are off. Any loving parent would do the same. But when the Spirit convicts, it's different than when the enemy convicts. When the enemy convicts, he wants to bring death. When the Spirit convicts, he wants to bring life. So it sounds different. It sounds different. Conviction by the Spirit leads to repentance. Condemnation by the enemy leads to guilt. Right? So they're both maybe talking about the same event, but coming at it in very different ways. One wants to lead you to self-sulking and shame. The other wants to lead you to repentance and shedding and life. Can I get an amen? 
That's really, really good news. And it's so important because those things can sound so similar. The voice of condemnation always says you're a loser and you'll never be any good. The voice of spirit always says you are loved. Come home to the place of love. We have a good guide, don't we? We've just got to learn how to listen to him. We've got to learn how to listen to him. So how unique is Mary? She's pretty unique, okay? But she's also an archetype. What she carries in her womb physically, you carry in your heart spiritually. He came to dwell among us so that he would ultimately dwell within us. And so you may be sitting here today, and this is your disposition. Maybe there's a little bit of anxiety. God, I don't, I don't know what it means that you live inside of me. Or maybe there's, there's some questions. God, what do I do with this declaration that the, the Spirit lives in me? Those are great questions. Those are great questions. And I want to encourage us, maybe we, just, maybe we respond like Mary. Have you ever read her response? She's like, God, I don't get how a virgin could be pregnant with a child, but let it be as you have said. See, before the Beatles ever coined that phrase, that was Mary's. <laughs> Let it be. God, if you say, here's how, you want to fill up Christmas this year? Here's how you fill it up. God, if you say that the spirit, your spirit lives in me, I'm going to trust you. And I may even step out a little bit differently into that this season. I may start to expect that you're going to show up. Second, I love the way that Mary ponders these things in her heart, Luke says. It's like she just keeps thinking about it. God, you, you, God, you are present in me physically. You, you are coming to redeem. You're coming to save. Mary, did you know? She knew he's entering into the world. And Mary's magnifica is her expression of joy. Joy. My hope for you this Christmas season is that the Spirit might fill you with joy. I love that passage that we prayed earlier. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Did you know one of the things the Spirit loves to do is pour out the love of God into your heart? Are you open to that this year? Are you open to that this year? And then finally, and this may be difficult if you don't have a womb, but I want to encourage you to fill up Christmas by giving birth. In the same way that Mary carries the Christ child and delivers him into the world, so too we carry the spirit of Christ and we get this beautiful opportunity to deliver him into the world. Wherever people are filled with the Spirit, um, they speak on Jesus. John the Baptist, being filled with the Spirit, proclaims the coming of the Christ. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, proclaims the blessing of God over Mary. Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, prophesies about the coming of Jesus. So maybe you, filled with the Spirit during this Christmas Advent season, maybe you would start speaking on him, speaking of him, pointing people to him. Maybe you, this Christmas season, might give birth. Maybe you could do it really easily. You could just grab one of these little cards on your way out and invite somebody to come with you to Christmas Eve service. I hope you do. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us 
forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne.